Well, we call this holiday that we celebrate this weekend Independence Day. And I find that interesting since as we really read, if you really read the Declaration of Independence, it becomes obvious that it is really a declaration of dependence upon God. And then if you add the Constitution to it, later you discover that the young nation's efforts were to figure out a way to live in community together. And so these documents that we, always, we often say have something to do with our independence really have to do with our dependence upon God and upon one another. Our nation is one that is filled with people who continually attempt to fight for and defend our freedom. And we are grateful for that. Many of you here have sons and daughters in the military and we've lost more lives even this past week in Afghanistan. And their effort is for political and maybe even personal freedom. And we're all grateful for the freedoms that each of us as citizens holds and we hold those freedoms dear to us. But... There is a freedom spoken of in Scripture that is far greater than any political or even personal freedom that you and I might have. There is a freedom offered to each of us that is a spiritual one, and it is life-changing. This morning we're going to look at two passages, and some others sprinkled in, but primarily at two passages, one in Galatians 5 and one in Romans 8. If you have your... uh, Notes, you can take those out and follow along. If you have your Bibles, open those up to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to be reading the first two verses of each of these chapters. Galatians 5, 1 and 2 says this, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words... I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. And then Romans 8, verses 1 and 2. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life, which is the gospel, set me free from the law of sin and death. And the law of sin and death is simply the controlling influence of the sinful nature. In a nutshell... What do we see in these four verses? We see the fact that Christ has come to set us free from a slavery that kept us in chains. And that slavery is sin. While we might try other methods to get into God's good graces, outward things, and in this case Paul says, you know, if you think circumcision is going to make you right with God, go for it, but it's it's useless. This is not these outward things. All these outward things that you try aren't going to make you right with God. They're of no value. On the other hand, Jesus Christ came to set us free from the bondage of sin and in Him there is complete freedom. Now as a pastor I talk with lots of people. And a big part of my ministry has been answering questions like this. How can I make my marriage better? How can I really live a godly life? How can I be a better parent? How do I keep from struggling with the same sins over and over again? You know, we spend our days, don't we, seeking out joy and meaning and purpose. We want joy in our lives. We want peace. We want, we want to feel like our life is meaningful. We want a life of purpose. 
Well, I'll tell you that the answer to all of those questions are found only in a vibrant and growing relationship with Jesus Christ. I stand here today desiring more than anything that today we get it. That we get it. I am not going to help you play church today. I'm not here to pat your hand. I'm not here to feel sorry for you. I am here to tell you as best I can the truth. I am here to get in your face and tell you how you can be free. How you can be really free. You see, the issue in our culture and unfortunately in, our, in the church today is that we don't get it. And we've created a Christianity that many times does not look anything like the Christianity that Jesus intended it to be. And so it becomes, well, I'll go to church a couple times a month when it's convenient. But I won't build my own personal relationship with God. I'm hoping that whoever speaks has enough for me to hang on to the rest of the week. When in reality, we all know that by Monday morning, you will have forgotten every word that is said here in the next 35 minutes. And so the statistics show us that the church is really no better than the world. Statistics tell us that over 50% of us don't even be, believe that the Bible is the inerrant, inspired Word of God. So what's the point? Over 50 or 60% of us don't believe that there is such a person as the devil. And an even less high percentage believe that there is a place called hell. Now, a really high percentage believe in heaven. Well, isn't that convenient? And so what happens is, we, we say to the world, come and get what we've got. Who wants it? Honestly, who wants it? If you're sitting here as a seeker this morning, I hope that what you discover this morning is a relationship with Christ that you desire. That as God draws Himself to you, that you will see this is something I desire. And I would encourage you not to look at the people who, in your life who call themselves Christians. Because we're not the greatest examples in the world. Because... Most of us don't get this thing called freedom either. We don't live in the truth of the freedom that we have in Christ. And we are a mess. Now my parents are Southern Baptists and so I keep up on all the Southern Baptist news. And this last week in Louisville, they had the Southern Baptist Convention. And one of the announcements that was made from their pollsters was that if the Southern Baptist Convention, the Southern Baptist Church continues down the road they are going in their reaching of people for Christ... By 2050, they will have half the number of members. Half. Well, what's wrong with that? Well, I'm not saying this about the Southern Baptist anymore than I am us. We don't get it and people don't want it. And what we don't get is that we are to have a vibrancy of freedom in our Christian lives that we can share with others. Because there is a freedom in Christ that is beyond anything you can imagine. And most of us as Christians in this room do not live in it. So we're busy trying to answer questions like, how do I get a better marriage? And how do I become a better parent? And how do I deal with this issue in my life? 
when the answers are all here. We live in the freedom that is ours in Jesus Christ. But we want three easy steps to everything. So I'm going to get in your face just a little bit this morning. And I love the freedom of picking my own topic this morning. I'm the first of your guest speakers for July. Isn't that handy? So let's take this deeper. Let's look at these verses. Let's talk about what this means to have real freedom. There are two aspects to this spiritual freedom offered to us. The first is that there is spiritual freedom in salvation. And the Bible calls this justification. Justification. It simply means coming into right legal standing with God. Much like we would come to court and we'd be placed in right legal standing based upon the judgment in that court. Several things you need to know about justification. And if you are here and you are a seeker, if you don't yet know that you have a relationship with Christ, if God has never drawn you to Himself and offered this free gift to you and you've accepted it, then this is where you are at in your life. Standing at the precipice of being offered freedom of salvation and justification, this right legal standing with God. First of all, the message of the gospel is one of freedom. It is not one of rules and regulations meant to keep us from really living, which is kind of the picture painted, isn't it? Well, Christians, those are all those tied in a knot people who try not to do stuff. You see, it is a gospel of freedom that allows us to live real life and real freedom. There's an amazing liberation in this act of God called justification, knowing that we are in we are in right standing with God, is freeing to the soul. There is nothing more freeing than knowing that we can stand in the presence of the God of the universe free and accepted by Him and in right standing with Him. Why do we need that right standing? Why do we need that freedom? Well, one, we're in bondage whether we feel like it or not. Let's admit it. Within each of us, we know that sin often controls us, don't we? Instead of us controlling it. There is always bad, hell-pleasing, not in our best interest, consequences every time we sin. And that's where we live. We live in that bondage. You see, sin is, oh, sin is sly, isn't it? And what happens is it, it comes from within us, and then it comes from, we grab hold of it from, from the, the, the worldly system that we live in, and and then the enemy attacks us. So we got three things kind of coming at us. And what happens is that sin will do this. It will take us further than you want to go. Sin always takes you further than you intended to go. It will cost you more than you intended to pay. And it will keep you longer than you intended to stay. It is always far worse than we think it is. And you know what happens? We don't realize that till we're on the other side of it. And it looked good and the temptation was so appealing and we give in and then suddenly the one that tempted us becomes our accuser. And it looks completely different on the other side. We're in bondage to sin. Apart from Christ, we have no power within us to flee it, to reject it, to not live in it, and to not be bound by it. We're in bondage. And second, there is a penalty, a consequence to sin. There's a penalty. There's consequence for it. 
Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's the glory of God that must be satisfied. And so there is a penalty if we can't satisfy that glory. It is His righteousness that must be honored. Over and over in Scripture, we find that the result of sin, the penalty of sin, is always death. It is sin that causes us to be separated from God. And apart from intervention, it will lead to eternal death. Separation from God. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. His death paid for the death that we should have gotten. This morning, if you don't know Jesus, the death that you would suffer because of sin has been taken by Jesus. God's absolute moral purity is the standard toward which we're to aim and the standard by which God holds us accountable. It's His standard, not our standard. We're not going to take a poll this morning and decide what most Americans think the moral standard is. It is God's moral, righteous, pure standard. The fact that we're unable to, on our own to attain that standard does not mean that it will be lowered. See, too often today we figure as long as we're, we're that much, we think we're that much better than the guy that lives next door, then we're okay. We pick the biggest reprobate on our block and as long as we seem to be better than he is, or maybe your reprobate's a woman, as she is, let's be fair, then we're okay. And so our standard does this, it moves, it moves around and we're trying to chase the standard. We find the lowest common denominator and that's our standard. The problem is that the reality is that the moral standard of God is our standard. And it is an absolute moral standard. And the fact that we can't get to it on our own does not change, take watch off, does not change the standard. What it does mean is that we need, God, we need God's grace. And we need His forgiveness to overcome our sin. Jesus died to pay that penalty. He took that consequence for you and for you. There's a penalty and a consequence for sin and there are two options for paying the price and you can choose the option. The first option is your way. Your way. That's the, what most of our ways is, is, well, we're, we're try to be good enough, work to be more good than bad, and hope for the best. We all tend to do it, right? So we don't need a lot of explanation. We get this. We're just trying to hope that the, this side of the scale is weightier than this side. few problems with this. How much good do you need? How much heavier does this side need to be than this side? How much better does the good need to be than the bad? And who then ends up being the judge? And does God arbitrarily one day just go, okay, yeah, that's close enough. That's our way. We try to be good enough. We just try to be better than you know, the guy next door. We, we hope for the best. We work really hard at being good. And then when, we, when we're not good, we say a quick prayer and hope God forgets about it. And then we move on. So there's your way. I'd, ha I'd ask you this question. How's that going for you? See, it sounds good because we figure we're not answerable to anybody if it's just our way. The problem is we're going to be answerable. 
that one day we will all stand before God and He'll say, why should I let you into my heaven? And the only answer that, we, that will cause us to go... to The right answer is Jesus. I have, Jesus has offered His gift to me and I've accepted it and righteousness has been poured into my life. But well, God, I was hoping that... Not quite going to cut it. See, there's another option and that's God's way. Depend on Jesus' payment. His payment. Consider what your sin and my sin cost Jesus. The physical pain and horror of crucifixion. The beatings. The thorns jammed on His head. The ridicule and the mocking. The pounding of nails into His flesh. The suffering of exhaustion that caused Him to not even be able to lift Himself up on those nails for a breath. Eventually dying of suffocation. That's God's way. Theology words call it the substitutionary atonement. That Christ stepped in a sinless, spotless sacrifice and gave His life for you and for me. Now we can get all high and mighty and say that we're, gonna just, we're good enough and that's just silly. Well, it's your choice. You have options. See, the message of the gospel is one of freedom. Freedom from the power of sin. And that power over sin comes in the death of Jesus Christ. Second, justification is a one-time event. It is complete. It is the imputing of Christ's righteousness to us. And what that simply means is this. That God thinks of Christ's righteousness as belonging to us. That when God looks at us, those of us who have accepted His sacrifice... His righteousness has been imputed or placed over us. And when God looks at us, He sees Christ's righteousness and thinks of it as our own, as belonging to us. There's a great word in Scripture and also, I might add, in the South. And that word is reckon. And it doesn't mean what you do to a truck when you drive it around a corner too fast, okay? Thank you, you just got it. appreciate that. <laughs> the word reckon, it is used several times in Scripture to indicate what God does with His righteousness. He reckons it to us. It simply means that Christ's righteousness becomes ours. At the moment we accept God's free gift. When we do, a reckoning is complete. Isn't it amazing? Believers, Christ followers, that when, when God looks at you, that He sees Christ's righteousness and He reckons it's yours. It's a one time. It is complete. Jesus doesn't come later and take it. And we can't give it back. Third, justification is based entirely on God's grace. On God's grace. Romans 5.21 says, So that, just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's about His grace. It's about His unmerited favor offered to us. It is not about us. And I know for us as Americans, this is hard to take. 
It's not about me. It's not about you and your attempts to be good enough, to be moral enough, to be enough. It is about God and His grace for you. Now that should be, that's freeing, isn't it? That you don't, you don't have to try to, you know, white knuckle it and work this all out. Justification comes because God offers it as a gift that we can accept. And fourth, justification provides the power over sin. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. Thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He gives us the victory. At the moment that we begin a relationship with Jesus, we gain the power and the victory over sin. And the Holy Spirit becomes our constant companion. And the Holy Spirit holds all the power we need to walk in right relationship with Jesus. You see, I don't hold all the power to do that, and neither do you, but the Holy Spirit does. And at the moment of justification, God pours into us the Holy Spirit who has the power over sin and over death. If you're sitting here today, knowing that you've never accepted this free gift of salvation, this gift that holds within it the power over sin, if you're here this morning and you've been trying to do it your way and not God's way, if you know that God's righteousness has never been reckoned to you, then God's talking to you, I believe, today. And the Holy Spirit is convicting you and drawing you to Himself. Today, friend, you need to give your life to Jesus. To allow Him to change you. To give you freedom. Realize that your sin separates you from a holy God. And that Jesus died to impart, to reckon to you His own righteousness. The sinless man gave Himself for sinners. Later, I'll ask you to do just that, to give your life to Jesus. But it's an important decision. I want you to spend the next period of time listening to God's voice speak to you. I also want you to see what takes place after you accept God's gift of spiritual freedom. And this is the other aspect of spiritual freedom we want to talk about this morning, and that's that spiritual freedom is in daily living. Spiritual freedom in daily living, the Bible calls this sanctification. Growth in holiness and likeness to Christ. You know, as Christians, that's supposed to be our goal. That's supposed to be our desire, is that we would grow in holiness, in our likeness to Jesus. We want the people in our lives to look at us and see Jesus. We, we want victory in those areas of our life that we struggle. We really do. We want to be better parents. We want to have great marriages. We want to be good employees. We want to be good kids to our parents. We want to be good citizens. We want to be like Christ. Romans 6, 12 and 13, though, brings up an issue. And that's the fact that the issue for the Christian is the presence of sin. Though we have been imputed with the righteousness of Jesus, though it has been reckoned upon us, and when God sees us, He sees Christ's righteousness, we still got a little problem. It's called this. It's called flesh. It's called us. It's called our body. See, that Holy Spirit has been poured into a physical body. 
And so it becomes an issue because in that body is the presence of sin. Romans 6, 12-13 says this, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to Him as instruments of righteousness. That's what's supposed to be happening. But Paul says there's this issue called sin still. See, the, the verse begins with the word therefore. And it must refer to something. We find that, that what Paul's trying to say is that because Christ died to sin and because we have gained freedom in Christ, because of his payment of the penalty for us, we're not to give sin a place in our bodies. Because of his sacrifice, in response to his sacrifice, in response to his free gift, we're not to let sin have a place in our bodies. He is really, really asking us to rise up in rebellion against our sinful nature. Here's what happens though. We rise up in rebellions, in rebellion as Christians who are too worried about everybody else's sin. And we forget about our own. See, I think what we ought to do is we ought to just come over and pick at your house. And we all, we, we all just have a big you know, show at your house because you got some too, right? See, it, it's about time that before we pick up the rocks and throw them at somebody else because of their sin, and we're not saying it's not sin, let's figure out our own and deal with it. Because there's too much of it in the church. Jesus even said, you know, if you, fine, stone, stone, the, stone the sinful woman, guys. Though, if you're without sin, you throw the first rock. Who wants to be first? And the Robertson paraphrase of that is, they dropped their rocks and ran. Because, see, sanctification is about us looking inward and determining how we are not going to let sin be present in us. Then we can say to other sinners, you know what, you can be free too, just like me. It's not about telling people how bad their sin is, it's about telling people how good Jesus is and that He is more powerful than their sin and that they can be free too. So let's stop looking down our long, bony spiritual noses at everybody else's sin instead of dealing with our own. Back to notes. You see, we're supposed to be in rebellion against our sinful nature. Precisely because we are free from sin, we have to fight against it. We have to fight against it. We've been freed from it. We don't need to be in bondage to it anymore. You know, it's a, this is a, a story that you've probably heard a hundred times, but it, when they are trying to keep elephants in captivity, they put a chain and a peg, small peg in the ground when it, the elephant's a baby. And the elephant can't pull it out of the ground. Well, they just keep the same peg. And as the elephant grows, it doesn't realize it can pull that out of the ground. It doesn't realize it at all, and it's chained. It's in bondage. doesn't even know it can get out because it's big enough because it's been convinced that that's where it needs to stay. 
We have to fight against it. We have to realize that that peg of sin in our life, we can win it. We can beat it. Because we have within us the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember, back to Galatians 5.1. It says, we have freedom. But then the next sentence says, to stand firm. To stand firm. It's a battle between the spirit and the sinful nature. That's why the Bible uses so much military wording when it talks about what we are to, how we are to deal with sin. We're to put on the armor of God every day to fight sin. I'm pretty convinced that most of us don't get up in the morning and put on our armor to fight sin. We put on taffeta and silk. And we just putz our way through our daily lives and then wonder at the end of the day why we are not living the victorious Christian life. Why we're not living in freedom. Because the Bible says, here's why, we're not putting on our armor. We're to stand firm. You've got freedom, now stand firm in it. Don't let the ground start shifting. Stand firm. You know, the shoes that were to put on in that armor are a kind that the, the, the soldiers used to put. And what they do is they, they had points in the bottom. They'd stick them in the ground so that they'd stand firm. So they couldn't retreat. So that they'd have a good solid base. We are to stand firm. Now this sounds ominous, but we can't forget that the power over sin isn't ours. It's not of us. It is given to us at salvation. We simply have to give the Holy Spirit the ability to fight for us rather than to do it on our own. And if some of you are out there getting whipped, it's because you're out there on your own. But Romans 6 uses this word. We're to not let sin reign in our mortal bodies. In other words, not to rule or be in charge of us. We are to yield though. Not to sin, but ourselves to God. We all know what yield is. Those are those signs we don't pay attention to, right? That's what yield is. Growing up, there were far more yield signs. They don't even bother with them anymore. Yield means give the right away, right? Just kind of watch. Be careful. Give the right away too. So let's read this again. Therefore, do not set, let sin rule and be in charge in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not give the right of way to the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather give the right of way of yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And give the right of way to the parts of your body to Him as instruments of righteousness. Reigning and yielding. Second, I want us to realize that we have to live in the truth of who we are in Christ. It is critical to living in freedom. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Romans 8, starting in verse 7, says this, The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, you, however, those who have taken on the righteousness of Christ are controlled not by the sinful nature but by the Spirit if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers... We have an obligation 
but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. That obligation is to Jesus Christ who gave his life for us, to live in the power of the Spirit that is within us. You see, it's a matter of living not as who we were, but as who we are. And so many of us, so many of us don't live in the reality of who we are in Christ. We're still stuck as who we were. Well, who was I? Well, that's the sinful nature. Who we were was the sinful nature that urges me to satisfy my appetites. That's fueled by fear of what might be. That pushes me to establish my identity, to prove myself and impress somebody that tries to be holy based on my own abilities. That's who I was. But who am I? Who am I in the spirit? Well, who I am urges me to satisfy the depths of my soul. Who I am is fueled by confidence of what is and fueled by the truth. Who I am encourages me to rest in my identity. Who I am is not under obligation to sin, to temptation, to the sinful nature. We're not under obligation. We don't have to give in. We don't have to sin. That's who I am. Who I am realizes that yielding to the Holy Spirit is vital to my spiritual success. And too many of you today are not living in the truth of who Jesus has made you. And you're depressed and confused and tormented and struggling. And the time has come to get it. Third, sanctification is continuous and ongoing. Unlike justification, it is not a one-time event. It's ongoing. It is incomplete. You see, in sanctification, we have to continue to confess to turn from and to repent to turn to. It's not enough just to feel bad and go to God, oh God, I blew it again, I blew it again. I'm going to keep going that way. I'll just keep hanging out in the same places with the same people doing the same stuff over and over and over again. What do they call insanity? Doing the same thing over and over and think you're going to get a different result. So we confess and we plead with God to forgive us and then we keep walking in the same direction. But it needs, we need to repent, which means turning, getting off at the next exit and turning around. Some of us have passed way too many exits in our Christian walk. All the desire to do better in the world has no impact until we decide to really allow the Holy Spirit to do His promised work in us. It is a promised work. We are free. We must continue to yield and let the Holy Spirit reign, living in the freedom of the victory that He has already won. It's continuous, it's ongoing. I would love to stand here today and tell you, here are two things. If you do these, you got it. That'd be great. Be awesome. But we have to continue being sanctified and allowing the Holy Spirit to change us. Fourth, sanctification must include our cooperation. An old preacher when I was growing up said, that the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He simply asks. 
He's quietly there with us as our companion. Tapping us on the shoulder. Hey, I'm here. When you've had enough of you, we have to be pouring the right things into our heart and mind. That's our part of the cooperation. Pouring the right things in. We must be people of the Word of God or all the other stuff of our sinful nature, the world and the devil, will pour in unabated. Here's what happens. If you come to me and you say, here's what's going on in my life, my first question will be, what are you doing with this? Are you a person of the Word? Are you letting the Word pour into your life? Because that's our cooperation. Are you letting the Word pour into your life? Are you doing that daily and regularly? Well, if the statistics are true, half of us believe it's not even the Word of God, so why do we bother? What are you doing with the Word? You're pouring it into your life. What are you doing with community? Are you in a small group? Are you in a spiritual partnership where other people are involved in your life and know what's going on and they're encouraging you and they're pushing you and they're struggling along with you and walking with you? See, that's what the three habits are all about. A daily quiet time with God, a weekly connection with others in a small group, and a monthly sharpening time with a spiritual partner. That's what those, those are all about. They're not just there because we needed to put something on paper. They're, our, they're helping each of us cooperate with the Holy Spirit in our life. Think of your life this way. This is a pot of hot coffee. For those, this will be even more meaningful to those of you who don't like coffee. Kind of nasty, huh? I left my office for a week a while back and forgot to clean out my coffee cup. Came back, an entirely new universe had grown in it. And if we let that go long enough, that's what's going to happen to this coffee, right? Think of your life as this pot filled with black coffee. It can get dark and smelly. There's no way to get the, the pollution out of that. There's no way unless we just dump it out. Now, wouldn't that be nice if I could just come to you and go, let's just dump all this out and we'll rinse it out and you'll be fine and you're good. See, the Holy Spirit comes into this life, into, into our dark, stinky, messed up lives. And he starts to change us from the inside out and begins that work of sanctification. But we have this ice. And let's let this ice represent the Word of God and community. And those people who are challenging us and our time in the Word where he's, he's changing us and cleansing us and Not much impact, huh? Matter of fact, some of it's melting as it gets in because we're working against the temperature of that coffee. In our lives, the Word is working against the sinful nature. Here's what I'm telling you. Keep at it. Because I might have to go back to that freezer and get a lot more ice. But after a while, it's going to take over, isn't it? With the clear, 
pure water of the ice is going to start to take over. Maybe you're discouraged today because you came to Christ and He justified you. He brought you into right standing with Himself and yet you struggle and you struggle and you fight and you struggle and you take three steps forward and two steps back. And so it's easy to quit, isn't it? And the icky old life just keeps, it just takes over. Because here's what happens. It's easy to go back and say, well, let me grab a little bit of this again. Let me sin over here. Let me grab a little bit of this. And we just dump more coffee grounds in. It starts to take over again. If there's sin in one moment and porn in the Bible in another, you're treading water. And it's going to feel like that. And some of you are to the place you're not only treading water, it's as though 20 corks have been dumped in the water with you. And you're trying to keep all the corks down while treading water. We've got to keep going. We've got to let the Word continue to do its work. Let community continue to do its work. Eventually... We're going to win out. If I keep going here in a couple minutes, the, it's going to start pouring out over the sides. And if I keep dumping ice in, if you're patient and my hand doesn't fall asleep, we're going to take over, aren't we? The process just needs to be allowed to continue to work. We can cooperate by having a daily quiet time, a weekly connection with others, a a monthly sharpening time with somebody who's just sharpening us. There is no way, Christ follower, that you will live in in spiritual freedom that is yours. There is no way that you're going to live in that spiritual freedom if you simply come to church on a couple weekends a month and then blow through the rest of the week on your own. Come on, Christian. Come on, Christ follower. God has given you the greatest gift of all. And then He gives, us, gives you the Holy Spirit. Live in the amazing truth of that fact. Think of all the continued sanctification that can happen in your life. Until it's clear. seeker maybe the Holy Spirit's been at you these last 20 minutes or so he's calling you to himself are you ready to accept freedom are you ready to be justified are you ready to have the righteousness of Christ reckoned on you you can do that today Christ follower you're living in the reality of your freedom Are you living in the reality of it? Are you living as who you were or who you are? Are you being sanctified? Are you a person of the Word? Are you following this path alongside others to encourage you and challenge you on your spiritual journey? Honestly, it all comes down to this. And this is just where it always ends, is that we do what we want to do. You do what you want to do. 
If you think it's important, you'll do it. If you want to listen, that's up to you. If you want to obey, that's up to you. If you want to be spirit-led, that's up to you. If you want to give your life to Jesus, that's up to you. So we come to a place of response this morning. And it's up to you. Let's pray.